Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. So I learned through the Federation, learning how to advocate on behalf of blindness, learning how to deal with those structured policies and procedures that create barriers to blind people that the same thing exists related to me as a black person. So although I may not have been directly impacted or adversely impacted by them, they exist. And we'll be talking with our guest today about some of his experiences as being both a blind person and a person of color. We'll speak with Anil Lewis, who is the executive director of blindness initiatives for the National Federation of the Blind, mostly about his personal life experiences. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Anil Lewis. I think if I was to offer a general tip, that it would be for everyone to exercise a degree of tolerance with one another, to seek to understand the other person. I know it's one of Stephen Covey's things, seek first to understand and then seek to be understood. But I think that's really key in both climates, uh, the blindness and the blackness. And I think that if we can do that, then we'll all get to a better place with respect to loving one another. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Anil and learning about his role at the National Federation of the Blind. My name is Anil Lewis. I'm the Executive Director of Blindness Initiatives for the National Federation of the Blind. And how long have you had that position? Well, I've been a member of the National Federation of the Blind since 1999, served in a variety of different local capacities, served on the board of directors for a number of years. And I came to work here at our national office back in 2010, where I initially worked on our advocacy and policy team, but I've been in the blindness initiatives portion of the work that we do since 2014. Now, I thought you were director of the Jernigan Institute. What's the relationship? Well, it's just a title change. When I originally came on this side, I was the executive director of the Jernigan Institute, but a lot of people interpreted that I was the director of the whole national center, which is not correct. Within our national center here, which we refer to as the Jernigan Institute, It houses our advocacy and policy team, a host of other operational things, as well as the incubator for all of our blindness initiatives. So to better clarify my role and responsibility, the title changed to Executive Director of Blindness Initiatives. And what is the general mission of the Blindness Initiatives Division that you're director of? I like to tell people that I'm responsible for the projects and programs that deal with blindness from birth to earth, from womb to tomb. We host a lot of uh, programming and projects and research related to education, employment, access technology, research around blindness. Um, Our Jacobus Timbrook Library also falls under my responsibility. So just a host of the projects and programs that we kind of initiate, develop, and execute to allow blind people to live the lives they want. And we will be bringing Anil back in a few weeks to talk about those programs. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. 
This week's focus topic is Anil Lewis's experiences as both a black man and a blind man, and how those experiences as each helped him navigate through life as the other. So this week, we wanted to mostly talk about your journey through life, because I understand you are visually impaired yourself, right? Yes, I've been blind since 1989. I lost my sight due to retinitis pigmentosa. But not in what you call the normal way. No, it wasn't a traditional progressive deterioration of vision like my older brother and older sister both experienced in their lives. I lost a significant amount of vision so that I went to work on Friday. Everything was fine. When I went back to work on Monday, I could no longer read my computer screen. That had to be a pretty scary situation. Yeah, it was scary at the time. Now I kind of make light of it. I tell people I went to go see this movie, uh, Look Who's Talking, with Kirstie Alley. And I said either she was so attractive or either that movie was so horrible that it took my vision away over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad joke, but it helps get me through. <laughs> yeah. So you knew you had RP at a very early age. Were you prepared at all for losing your vision or going through that transition? No, no. I'll just say I, I was not prepared, but I was kind of prepared. So my older sister and older brother both went blind. So I, I was familiar with blindness, but unfortunately they hadn't found the National Federation of the Blind. So they didn't really understand what I would call today the truth about blindness. So a lot of the stereotypes and myths and misconceptions about blindness kind of lived in their existence as blind people. But I thought that I had missed it. I'm 25 years old. I'm driving my Mustang convertible. I'm, I beat it. RP is not going to get me. And then over the weekend, I became blind. So being prepared, I guess, is relative. I was prepared that I could have potentially gone blind. But once I lost my sight, that's when the real fear started setting in because my brother and sister, in my opinion, were not living the lives that they wanted. And when we're young, we tend to think we're all invincible and nothing can happen to us anyway. <laughs> Amen. That's exactly where I was. So I guess you didn't face any of these challenges of blindness or limited vision when you were young? Not through school. I was in college at the time, um, working on a degree in uh, computer information systems. So no, I hadn't experienced any real blindness issues or any of the adverse effects that come with blindness. Now, although you may not have faced any of those issues as a blind individual when you were young, I understand that you grew up as a person of color in the South. That's correct. I was born in the city, Atlanta. It's always going to be home. Uh, I think I was blessed, though, in several ways related to that. I experienced the discrimination related to race, but I think that my mom really helped me develop a very positive self-concept uh, because we were right in that window of time when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 had passed. It's when I was born and in my formative year. So I never grew up feeling lesser. Um, I was in one of the most progressive civil rights cities in the world. That's Atlanta, Georgia. So I saw Black-owned businesses. I saw pervasive inclusion. Uh, as a matter of fact, in, in many instances, I never thought that I was a member of a minority because I grew up in a predominantly Black environment, predominantly Black school system, et cetera. So a lot of the things that could have negatively impacted me and my perception as a Black person, I was able to kind of, I don't want to necessarily say avoid because I don't think that's fair, but I was able to look at from a different perspective that was more empowering. 
we first learned about you when you published a really beautiful and moving article through the NFB about how your experience growing up as a minority impacted your ability to adjust to blindness. And yet you just said that you didn't really feel like you were in a minority and that you didn't really experience a lot of discrimination as a youth, but this must have played together somehow. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the epiphany that I had. I was discussing this situation, you know, in the wake of George Floyd, uh, really coping with kind of my ignorance and lack of action around dealing with structured racism, because I, again, had acquired a skill set and have a had a lived experience that was, I guess, in many instances, uniquely different than most. Uh, but I think that what the beauty was when I found the synergies is, as I stated earlier, my mom helped me develop a very positive self-concept. And that's what happened with the NFB. Uh, so when I went blind, I was afraid that I was not going to be able to continue down the path that I traveled because neither my brother nor my sister were able to reach the goals that they aspired to. Uh, but because I was able to immerse myself within the Federation and again, very similar, found a population of people where I did not feel like I was in the minority uh, that helped me develop a positive self-concept of myself as a blind person. So a lot of those things my mom did for me to deal with growing up successfully as a black man, the Federation did for me growing up to deal with issues as a blind person. But then the reverse side of that, which was really powerful for me and really helped me deal with the current issue you know, this nation faces is I learned through the Federation that in order to deal with well, in the case of disability, the structured ableism that exists, then you have to take a proactive stance. You have to take the initiative to educate yourself and surround yourself with people who are really going to help you make a difference. And that's what I had not done related to structured racism. So I learned through the Federation, learning how to advocate on behalf of blindness, learning how to deal with those structured policies and procedures that create barriers to blind people that the same thing exists related to me as a Black person. So although I may not have been directly impacted or adversely impacted by them, they exist. So in order for me to really play a role and become a systems change agent, I have to do that same thing. I have to take the initiative to educate myself and surround myself with people who are really on that same pathway of making a difference. So as you mentioned, you went blind rather suddenly as you were going through college. Mm-hmm. How were you introduced to the National Federation of the Blind? Yeah, unfortunately, it took me 10 years to find the NFB. And again, to just really highlight kind of a unique lived experience that's counter to most. Uh, my brother and sister, they were working in a shelter workshop at the time, uh, getting paid subminimum wages. And uh, that's why I thought my life was going to turn into, because that's the only example I saw of blindness. And you were in the middle of an advanced degree in computer technology at the time. Correct. And I had no knowledge of access technology and the ability for a blind person to still operate a computer, etc. I was just ignorant. But I had some initial intervention that really encouraged me to continue to go through uh, my degree. So I was able to get books on tape. And I got some fundamental training that allowed me to learn to use a computer. And the opposite effect happened. Uh, because I was able to do those kind of rudimentary fundamental things, all of a sudden everybody started telling me, you're amazing and you're outstanding. And I unfortunately bought into that. 
and again, this is before I found the NFB. So I had 10 years of my life where I was out there, quote unquote, exemplifying blindness best practices. <laughs> and and I wish I could get those 10 years back because I sent a message that's inappropriate. If we're really trying to reach a point where we're considered equal and we're respected for the tools and the talents that we bring to the table, then I can't sit back and celebrate praise around being able to get up and get dressed in the morning. I can't sit back and take the pats on the back from people who are thinking, wow, that's great. You were able to get up and speak in front of a crowd. No, no, that's not the case. I mean, so when I found the Federation and found out that there were blind people doing things that truly were amazing, it humbled me in a way that allowed me to kind of, one, correct my behavior so that I'm not really sending those false perceptions of blindness out there, but two, to really set some truly aspirational goals for myself rather than just acquiescing, you know, in that social false validation of my excellence, you know? Yeah, those misunderstandings and misconceptions can really be kind of a negative aura around people sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, if people are amazed that, oh, he can eat, that's not the point. Yeah, exactly. And they're amazed that you can eat, but they feel they need to cut up your food. Yeah, you know, it's right, just, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there was one time at Xerox, Pete received a package from someplace and he had to go down to the guard's desk and pick it up. And the guard was like, wow, that's amazing. You opened the door. <laughs> and when he signed for the package and she realized that he was the budget center manager, like she just didn't have a clue how that worked. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hard part to fight, right? I, I tell... Um... President Cabono, he's president of the National Federation of the Blind, a very good friend of mine. We've been friends for so, so many years, but we've had conversations and I tell him, you know, the discrimination that we face as blind people is so much more difficult than the discrimination I face as a black man. The discrimination I face as a black man usually manifests itself out of hate, you know, and uh, it's easy to fight against something that doesn't like you, you know, but the discrimination I face as a blind man it's usually because it's love. I mean, it's it's really pity, but it's kind of masked as love. Yes. And you can't fight back against somebody who loves you or who is trying to help you. It's kind of hard to fight that discrimination. So you have to find a different skill set, some different tools to bring to bear to, to do that. But fundamentally, they both are you know grounded in ignorance. So the key overall in both instances is to find that opportunity to educate. You know, you talk about the importance of your mother endowing you with the tools to succeed in life. And I credit my parents with so much of exactly instilling those kinds of attitudes in me. You know, hard as it is to raise a blind child, you love them, you want to do everything for them, you don't want them to run into obstacles without helping them. And sometimes that can be a real negative thing. You know, my parents raised me to be pretty independent. If I had a problem, you know, I was the person who had to solve it. Of course, they were always yep. there as a safety net. They were always advocates for me when I was too young to be my own advocate. But that made a huge difference in how I succeeded in life. And hopefully they let you participate in that advocacy so you could learn and acquire those skills yourself. That's the same with my mom. She didn't run away from those racially tense situations. She demonstrated how I should deal with them effectively. You know, being, being a, um, a housekeeper, a maid, a domestic, whatever you want to call it, for this affluent white family. You know, there are plenty of learning opportunities to show me how to effectively, you know, deal with those particular slights that may have been meant or may not have been meant in a way that still commanded respect and dignity 
And uh, what you just described is why the National Federation of the Blind really focuses on our national organization of parents of blind children, because as I stated earlier, we deal with everything from womb to tomb. And we recognize that if we can empower those parents with a sense of they need to set high expectations for their children, have the same expectation for their child to be literate on grade level at the same age as their sighted peers, to travel independently, to explore their environment rather than to be segregated into some safe corner somewhere. If we can do that, then we're already so far ahead of the game with respect to creating opportunity for those children to reach their full potential. You were already an educated adult when you lost your vision. I gather your brother and sister were younger when they lost theirs. How did your mom, who sounds like a marvelous person, by the way, deal with the blindness of three of her kids? Yeah, my mom made the fatal mistake of depending on the professionals to give her the answers. I think that if she would have found herself faced with this without any quote-unquote professional, I think that she would have brainstormed a better solution. But my brother came along, he started losing his sight in elementary high school, and they sent him to the Academy for the Blind in Georgia. And at that particular time, they had gone under a transition. So back previously, if you went to the school for the blind, you learned all of the alternative skills of blindness. You learned Braille, I think you learned cane travel. Of course, computers weren't really in, in the curriculum at that particular time. But at this particular point, he had enough vision that he could, quote unquote, pass, is what they were saying. Uh, but he needed like bottle bottom glasses, a magnifier and a light in order to read large print. So he really should have been a Braille student. But the professionals told my mom, no, he'd be fine. And the same with my sister. So they, rather than encouraging them to learn and acquire the alternative skills of blindness, told them that it, they could get along with the functional vision that they had. And unfortunately, the functional vision that they had, the only real way of sustaining themselves was to go to work at the Georgia Industries for the Blind. That was the problem. So my mom, she dealt with it in a way that I did not realize created such a sacrifice until I became an adult, especially when I became blind. I realized the amount of energy and time and effort it took for her to even provide the opportunity for my brother and sister both to graduate with their high school diploma, both of them to at least experience some degree of college. And unfortunately, again, Without the alternative skills of blindness, it's hard to be successful in the post-secondary environment. So I think that overall what she did, though, is she created an internal drive and motivation to always strive for more. So although it may not have really reached my brother in time, my sister, at the same time, when I was going through the blindness piece, she kind of tethered herself to what I was doing, and she ended up acquiring the skills that she needed. So now She's working as a supervisor at the General Services Administration for the federal government. So making good money, good benefits, raising her family. And my brother, unfortunately, never really, we just didn't get him in time. But as long as he's still alive and breathing, I hold out hope. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just a little microcosm where you finding the resources that you needed to be successful was able to have an impact on somebody else who said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And that major resource was the National Federation of the Blind, because I don't think that if I had not come into contact with an organization of blind people that normalized blindness in a way that I was able to recognize that all of the false validation society was giving me about how wonderful I was, was really exactly that false validation and really setting high expectations for me to do better and aspire for more. And then also support me through that learning process uh, to acquire those skills. I would be Somewhere, I guess, in many instances, people would still deem it successful because I was able to still obtain employment 
but I would have been somewhere out there feigning, you know, that this is what blindness is about. Seeing those role models and having expectations set a little higher can really be an enormous driver, as you've pointed out. Mm -hmm. You know, you talked about our first impulses when we face blindness or some issues is to go to some professionals, but often their advice can be a little misguided and their expectations mm -hmm. a little low. I mean, I have kind of mixed feelings about these sheltered workshops. On the one hand, they're giving jobs to the disabled. On the other hand, they don't have to be doing that for a sub-minimum wage. You know, blind folks don't have to be selling pencils. They can be lawyers, doctors, scientists, accountants. Yes. They can do anything. Agreed. And that's one of the things that we try to illustrate on this show. We've spoken to many, many people who are professionals in a wide variety of fields. And, you know, sometimes it just boils down to somebody else saying, well, if that guy can figure out how to be a psychiatrist or a pharmacist or a lawyer or, you know, whatever it was that week, well, maybe with some pointers, I can figure it out too. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a choice, right? Because if there's someone who chooses to just, you know, find a job that they can go to every day and uh, pay their bills, you know, and they're not necessarily trying to, to rule the world or be the next outstanding this, then at least we know that it's a choice that they're making and not one that's being made because they feel that they cannot and not, you know, acquiescing because there are some barriers that are prohibiting them from reaching their dreams. So I, I also make space for people who just choose and I recognize the value of it, being able to, to go to work, get a job done and go home, you know, because the job I have now, I, I don't leave at work. It, it's in everything that I do and every day that I live, but I find joy in that. But if there are other individuals who want that nine to five and want that piece of I can do this job and then the rest of the life is my own, I want them to have that too. But I want them to have that because it's their choice to and not because they feel that's all they can do. And as you've pointed out, it's also important to be able to develop the tools to enable you to be successful and to learn to mm -hmm. be proactive and to be an advocate for yourself. Yes. Yes. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. That, that's the real strength. And as I was speaking earlier, it's understanding what that advocacy looks and feels like, because we work with a lot of young people and we get them to a place where we move them from what I call learned passivity, uh, where many of the institutions teach them to be quiet, get what you ha have and just be happy with it, to radical independence, which goes to the other extreme that they want to be defiant about each and everything. Uh, you get to a point where you learn how to be nuanced with your self-advocacy, like I was describing earlier with my mom, teaching me how to deal with those racially tense places. You don't want to get to the point where you just acquiesce to the discrimination, but you also don't want to get to the point where your vehement position makes it impossible for you to reach a solution that's going to be equitable for all concerned. So learning that advocacy, learning how to do it appropriately, and that's what we teach our blind kids as well. We don't want you to be pitiful beneficiaries of the public goodwill. But we also don't want you to be overly righteous zealots, you know, making demands on society, which, you know, wouldn't be appropriate for any person to receive. That is a subtle balancing act. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you'd like to add? I do hope that the article that I penned uh, does help individuals. It's really a reflection of my self-exploration. And I think that that was helpful because it, it's, it's not accusatory to anyone other than myself. But I also wrote it in a way that I hope 
and reflecting how I challenge myself to really be a proactive systems change agent, that it encourages others to want to do the same. So I think that I would leave with my statement stating, as I've been trying to tell everyone, times seem really bleak. We're dealing with two pandemics, you know, the coronavirus and also the structured racism awakening um, that is so, in my opinion, reflective of what people had to deal with in the 60s. But as in the 60s, I'm filled with hope that we're at a pivotal moment in this society where people who are willing, able, can really change this nation. And it's up to us to really do it and take advantage of this time because there's no telling when it may come back around again. And we cannot acquiesce and just have rhetoric. We've got to really engage in, in action. True. That is so true. And thank you for everything you're doing to help get the word out to people. Well, it's my pleasure. And I feel in a large degree, it's my responsibility. And I hope that everyone else, at least enough people who can make a difference, feel that it's their responsibility as well. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the National Federation of the Blind and how to contact them or Anil Lewis directly. Where would you direct people if they wanted to find out more about the National Federation of the Blind and some of their programs? Oh, absolutely. Please visit nfb.org. It's just so much information there. I would encourage you, if you're interested in technology, uh, you can go directly to our Center of Excellence in Non-Visual Access. Uh, that's kind of specific. But I, I would encourage more so related to the reason that you guys found me, to go and uh, visit our webpage and go right to our Braille Monitor, which is our monthly publication. And the reason I say that is because it has kind of the plethora of information around blindness. So not knowing what everyone's specific interest is, I believe that in reading the Braille Monitor, at least one of those articles is going to resonate with you in a way that informs you, educates you, entertains you, uh, and hopefully it'll be your conduit toward finding your way that you could get involved and active in the National Federation of the Blind. This may be an obvious statement, but the Braille monitor is not just available in Braille. People who don't read Braille will not have any trouble reading the Braille monitor. That's correct. It's available on the web in a digital format. It's available in several downloadable formats. You can get it in Braille delivered to your home at your doorstep. Uh, so yes, we, we make sure we offer it in a variety of different format so that any individual who needs access to that information can gain access to it. And does the National Federation of the Blind have a social media presence? Absolutely. Our Twitter handle is at NFB underscore voice. Uh, we're on Facebook if you just search for National Federation of the Blind. And uh, my Twitter handle is at Anil Life. That's A-N-I-L-L-I-F-E. And um, we also have the more traditional ways of getting in touch with us as well. You can call on a regular phone at 410-659-9314. And you can email us, of course, at nfb at nfb.org. And, of course, you can find all that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. We'll also have a link in the show notes to the article that Anil wrote and referenced in the show. 
That's it for show number 2038. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about wearable electronic eyeglasses. Zoomax has a line of these devices, the AceSight VR and AceSight AR, which embody virtual reality and augmented reality, respectively. And we will be speaking with David Bradburn, who is head of Zoomax US, about these devices and their company. So if you want to hear more about those products that can assist people with low or diminished vision, join us next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.